where we discuss and create a space to heal from religious trauma. Okay. Hi. Welcome back. This is Hannah. Hi, this is Cass. What are we talking about today, Hannah? Christian fundamentalism. What does fundamentalism mean for some of our listeners who maybe don't know, maybe have heard it before, but really kind of aren't sure? Yeah. So fundamentalism especially in Christian fundamentalism, is almost like a dirty word or like something taboo that we don't interact with. If you're involved in Christian fundamentalism, it's bad. So we never say we are. Mm -hmm. Fundamentalism really in its definition just means the group of people that practice this have basic fundamental beliefs that they stick to and they try to not deviate from this. So this is not a bad thing. Throughout the course of history... In any religion, mm-hmm. but in Christianity, it has kind of changed to be Christian fundamentalists are very one track specific beliefs that can create very harmful environments for the people following it. Yeah. And you had mentioned something earlier about the fundamentalist beliefs that have been taken to a whole different level compared to the vast majority of whatever that belief is. So as I was looking into Christian fundamentalism, because I thought, I don't know, maybe I feel like I've heard some things about fundamentalism that were related to the Christian community slash cult program that we were a part of. Yeah. And as I was reading more about it, everything that was being said in the articles, in the interviews, in the web pages was ringing like, oh, wow. Yeah, that's exactly what happened to us. Oh, wow. That's exactly how it was. Oh, no. Do you, do you want to talk about some of those? Let's talk about some of those. You want to go through I have a some? list of – yes, please. <laughs> Because <laughs> um, we were looking at these earlier before we started recording and um, a little frightening. So let's go through some of these and talk about them. Because I was thinking, well, maybe it's just seems like a bigger deal than it was to me now looking back. Right. Because we're processing some of our religious trauma yeah. that we experienced. Right. But as I was researching and looking more into Christian fundamentalism, I started to feel like oh, maybe I wasn't making a big enough deal about it. Everything that's talked about was how it was just presented as this is the correct and right way to do and live. Right, right. And I also want to put a side note up there too. Our group um, never blatantly said or presented themselves as being a fundamentalist right. group, which I think was part of the sneaky way that maybe we kind of just all got caught up in it and had no label for it. We didn't have anything to call it because we didn't know what it right. was. We didn't know that word. Not until years and years later mm-hmm. of um, going through things and reading different things. And we're like, oh, hey, maybe we were considered fundamentalists and just had no idea. So that exactly. so that's kind of important to throw in there that we didn't call ourselves fundamentalist so we didn't know yes. kind of that's really what we were rolling with and so now as we're looking back how are we identifying that let's look at some of the 
signs or hallmarks of what a Christian fundamentalist group looks like? Um, so the first one on um, our list is the group has a fear-based outlook or theology. So um, things that they're telling you are things that are they're trying to make you afraid, whether it's for the end of the world, whether it's to be afraid of the world, because remember, we were called yeah. to be in the world, not of the world. And if you were commingling with the world, then you were outside of that umbrella of protection and bad things were going to happen. So fear-based theology right there. When we discussed the purity talks that we were given as kids, we mentioned how all of us as kids, teenagers were afraid to interact with the opposite sex. Mm -hmm. We were afraid to talk to boys. Boys were afraid to talk to us. We were afraid to get too close to people. We were afraid of messing up and causing someone to sin. We were afraid, just the idea that you're living in fear, that you're not good enough, mm -hmm. that you're making the wrong choice, that you could be wrong, that just like doubting and fear, yeah. that's a really big sign that you're probably in a fundamentalist community. Number two that we have on here is this having a mentality of it's us against them. So who is them in that context? Mm -hmm. We often weren't even told who they were. We were just told things like they're trying to destroy Christians. They are persecuting us. Mm -hmm. They are going to do something bad to you. They are going to turn your children's hearts away from you and from the Lord. Oh boy, that one was used a lot. And when your kids go to a secular college, whoever they're around will be they and they will be a distraction and a problem and so it's us against them so we need to keep with us yeah the world so anything that was outside of the group was dangerous mm -hmm. was going to hurt you was going to um, make you fall from the graces of God or something in some way. Mm -hmm. So it was anything out there. It could be the billboard. It could be a video that you saw. It could be the music that you listened to when you were trying to skip to your next favorite Christian radio station. Um, mm -hmm. it, it was it was a multitude of different things and it didn't have to be people mm -hmm. because it was always Satan comes at you in strange ways and you never know what it's going to be. It, it could literally be anything. But the us against them um, mentality was it's us against the world, basically, which is a big thing to be looking out for and be yeah. afraid of. And I can't imagine how our parents felt about that. We can't shield them from everything. Some things they're going to fall and some things they're going to have to figure out on their own. Yeah. Us against them creates a very uh, sheltered community because we want to be safe because again, we're, we're living in fear mm -hmm. of all of the things that are secular, that are the world, that are not Christianity or whatever it is. Yeah. This kind of ties into the next point of it's us against them. We have to be safe. We need to be protected because we have a persecution complex. Mm -hmm. Yep. Do you want to talk about persecution? What does that mean? <laughs> because sometimes, yes, religions, people, groups are persecuted. Well, and this is problematic. And that's the thing you but, think of first when you think persecution complex. You think of all of the news stories right? that you think of of Christians being burned alive in churches in third world countries across the ocean. Yep. I think of Fox's Book of Martyrs. I remember reading that and that's, I guess, what I think of with persecution complex. People actually being persecuted for their faith badly. 
Um, in America, though, we have a different kind of persecution complex of where the white people just think that we are being shit on all the time for what we believe and yep. that the world is out to get us because we believe in Jesus. And I kind of want to make a clear distinction between being discriminated against or being mandated to do something yeah. versus being persecuted. Right. Being mandated to do something is not persecution. No, it's not being going against up your in religious the street beliefs. Because you're a Christian, that's persecution. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That for sure. Good distinction. Violating human rights is different than following guidelines. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And being told to follow guidelines, yeah. okay? <laughs> and to be perfectly honest, a lot of people in America have probably thought that they experienced religious persecution and probably right. actually have never experienced right. that. And you probably won't until you go to a different country where their belief system is completely polar opposite maybe those people need to go to some different countries because other countries are not as welcoming of different religions or people even as compared to here there is a difference between religious persecution yes. and just people don't agree with you anytime you feel inconvenienced or penalized for something that is not religious persecution following rules let's move into our next point this one hurt legalism Legalism in yes, religion, legalism in the church, legalism within an organization, dare we say, cult. <laughs> what does that mean? Yes, we dare. <laughs> legalism in a Christian fundamentalist setting is going to emphasize or highlight the good works that you do and the way that you're able to follow the rules that they have set for you. Mm -hmm over basic scriptural principles of how God actually works. So they had their own basic principles that were biblically based, yes? More or less, sometimes. And then did sure. they have some of those other ones where they just kind of piled on other rules that were not biblically based at all? Absolutely. Christian fundamentalism thrives on power. So some of the legalist teachings that we would say were legalism in this cult, how you dress mm -hmm. is regulated. That's not a scriptural Heavily. basis for anything. Yeah. Who you are allowed to interact with and how you interact with them mm -hmm. is regulated. That's not scripturally based. Nope, not even a little. Um, it, coming up in a future episode, we're going to talk about the allowed and not allowed forms of entertainment, movies, dancing, music. That was more or less regulated mm -hmm. could depend on your household hobbies that were acceptable i don't know how to explain this hobbies one. that were acceptable per gender i would say yeah okay those would be regulated mm -hmm. or heavily encouraged heavily maybe. encouraged there would be some activities that most people would probably think are perfectly normal that particular families in a fundamentalist group um if they were not all of the exact same thinking might call not okay so those were kind of yeah. legalized i would say yeah and the problem with having all of this regulation just aside from all of the regulation mm -hmm. is that legalism puts these rules on the same level as actual scriptural commandments yes 
and things that we do find it. It just puts everything on the same level and is preached and taught as if this is all on the same field. Yeah, the same legalistic rules and stuff that we were brought up knowing and having to follow and everything. Uh, weren't these the same kind of things that Jesus was telling the Pharisees? Hey, that's not okay. <laughs> but if we would have brought that scripture up to the elders, we would have had an intervention. When you tell a Pharisee you're you're being legalistic and not Christian, the Pharisee is going to respond with, you just don't understand enough. I know the right way. Right. So going into that, a <laughs> fundamentalist group, the only right way to do things is their way. What does that look like? Hmm. So whenever they would say something, that was law. You went back and yep. you tried to say, hey, I've looked into this. Here's some studying that I've done. I don't think that's biblical. I don't think that's right. Here's why. Here's my opinion even. It would be, that's not right. I've looked into it and that's what it says. Or I've talked to God and this is what he said. Yes. If you believe that you are the only right answer, mm -hmm. not necessarily just about salvation or your religion, but when you are part of a Christian fundamentalist community such as ours... We believed that everything that we were doing was the right way and the leadership would preach and teach to us that whatever they said was correct. If the leadership tells you something like they tell you this political party is better than the other, you believe it because that's the only right way. Yep. And it's like it's not necessarily their way or the highway. It's just there is no highway. There's only our way. <laughs> right. Yeah. Biblically speaking – Drinking alcohol is not a sin. Biblically speaking, being drunk and that sort of thing is the sin. Yes. They aren't separated in legalism. They just tell you, no alcohol, done. Right. <laughs> so moving from legalism, if you are the only right way, this may give you a superiority complex. <laughs> oh, no. Holier than thou. Boy, did we know some of those. <laughs> For our listeners, we did a two-parter episode where we talked about works and the rewards that we were given. Mm -hmm. And we brought this idea up yes. that we were taught you are better than everyone that doesn't believe in Jesus. Yeah. If you're only being around people who have this exact same mindset of you, of you're better than everyone else, and you're just here to make the world a better place and spread the love of Jesus because they're all sinners that need to be saved and you have all the answers, you're locking yourself in an echo chamber. And if you're only mm -hmm. listening to those kind of people that have the exact same thoughts as you, you're going to get some puffer fish. Why would you want to be locked in that new echo chamber? You're not getting new information in. It's just the same shit being circulated around in the fan. Some of the things that came out of the legalism and the superiority and fear-based tactics and our option being the only right way. Let's talk about some of the isms. Let's start with sexism. Sexism shows up in a way that um, the girls being raised mm -hmm. in this group really only have one object or end goal in mind their entire lives that they are told it is to be good wives and mothers is it okay to be a good wife and a good mother yeah absolutely some people clearly that is their call however and if that is your <laughs> choice being given all the other options right 
wonderful. God bless you. Absolutely. If you are not given any of the other options except being told your entire life, you're going to be a great wife and mom one day. There's no new input being fed into this girl's mind except for I get to be a wife and mom one day. I'm going to leave my dad's house and I'm going to get married and I'm going to start having babies with my husband and do whatever he says because that's what my dad's raising me to do is be a good, obedient wife and do everything that he says. I remember times in this cult where people would say specifically what you just mentioned you're going to be a really good wife one day or you're going to be a really good catch or you're going to be a really good mom as someone now i'm a substitute teacher Mm -hmm. my hardest days are when i have to teach in an elementary school Oh, those are my favorite because being a mother to 27 children is not my life goal but because I have that perspective. I get a lot of flack from the community that we were a part of Mm -hmm. because most of the people my age from that community got married and started having families, which is wonderful for them. I'm happy. That's great. But because I have not, I've seen some weird Mm -hmm. reactions to my choice of lifestyle. And it's always like, oh, why aren't you a mom? Why don't you want to be a mom? And I'm just like, listen, I have other choices. It's okay. In a fundamentalist community, the men are the career people Mm -hmm. and the woman's career is just household. Yeah, You're in the house, you're the mom, you're the wife, you're the cook, you're the cleaner. And the husband is the breadwinner. And that's how it goes. The women got to be meek and mild and obedient from the time they leave daddy's house to the minute they step into their husband's house. And this comes from the sexist view that the man is more important in the marriage in the house than the woman. Like the woman has an important job, but the man is important more. Like he's the head of the household. He's the head of the household. He's closer to God. He's in charge. We look to him for guidance for everything Mm -hmm. from where our money comes from, where our food comes from, where God speaking to us comes from. Yeah. So women just weren't presented with an option that maybe they have a calling that's different than their husband or maybe they have an opportunity that's different than their husband. Yeah. It's not okay to think that your husband is God and Can do the no most wrong. magical creature in existence. <laughs> let me tell you. That's, that's not <laughs> scripturally based. No. That's fundamentalist based. Okay, so let's move into the other ism that's the other ism. usually very visible or sometimes not quite as visible yes. in a Christian fundamentalist community. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Uh, racism again everything depends per group some things depend per household racism can be blatantly obvious or it can be this weird kind of little trickly vibe that just kind of gets spread throughout that people know we're there but it's not being outright said so we just kind of ignore it so if you join or are a part of or find yourself in a christian fundamentalist church you probably won't hear people saying racial slurs What you will probably see is apathy in response to actual blatant racism. Mm -hmm. You probably won't see people picketing against other ethnicities, but you will probably see people turning a blind eye to racist stories in the news or dismissing it, but also inadvertently supporting white supremacy. Oh. This idea that <laughs> oh, white no. people are better because we're Christian and we're white. 
Um, so for example, this has showed up. I remember when I was in the cult um, mission trips, it wasn't ever said we're better than everyone because we're white. It was said we are going to go be missionaries in a place with other ethnic people groups. I won't say who they were. Yeah. Um, it was a white savior complex in the sense that we are going to go and we are going to bring light and good mm -hmm. because these people don't have anything there already. Right. As if Jesus is not capable of working despite you or without you. Right. Yeah. Within their own communities, it is possible without you showing yes. up and intervening and being like, don't worry, your white Jesus savior is here. Yeah, I remember seeing that yes. too. So that is a form of racism that I remember seeing going forward, not only with just arrogance, but arrogance and we're going to a less fortunate place and we're going to fix it. If there was other racism in this group that went unnoticed by us, we cannot speak on it because we did not experience it. Not saying it didn't happen. It probably did. We probably did not see it because it did not happen to us. One of the final things that you can use to identify if you're in a Christian fundamentalist community is something called spiritual abuse. Oh, yay which is a little interesting to navigate as a topic. Yeah, this one kind of... What are your thoughts on this? Uh, this one kind of packs in a lot. So spiritual abuse can show up in a lot of different ways. Uh, one of the ways that it can show up is people in power will have all of the say and all of the direction. Going back to superiority complex, going back to the only right way, mm -hmm. the people in power of these types of groups... And this was true for the group that we were a part of, were looked at as if they were on a whole different level spiritually. And like it wasn't possible to get to that level of spiritual maturity because they were just too good. Yeah. And because of that, we have to trust and listen to how they want to run things mm -hmm. and who they put in charge of things. Right. So abusing your power because you're more spiritual than others is a form of this happening that I definitely saw in the cult. Yeah. There's also using the Bible and using scripture, maybe as a manipulation technique. I would say that's right. Getting people to do something or agree to something because you said, I am the spiritual authority here and this is what I'm telling you the Bible says. A spiritual abuse basically wrapped up some of the things that we had already previously talked about, like she said, fear-based outlook or theology. They're going to use their power to manipulate you into being afraid of something or doing something. Spiritual manipulation. Legalism. Huge spiritual mm -hmm. abuse tactic of adding in all of these rules to make you do this or that yeah. or the other thing. Did you want to share your experience you had with spiritual abuse? Would, would we call that spiritual abuse? Is that what that is? Spirituality, scripture, Christian practices were used against in a way that was traumatic and unhealthy and inappropriate. That I would consider that spiritual abuse. I can. I mean, I think my entire experience was spiritual abuse. I was being manipulated and narcissistically abused through the whole time. I was on a mission trip and um, I was on a bus with a bunch of other people who were praying over people and they looked at me after praying for a couple people and were like, come here, come to the center. We're going to pray for you. And I was like, 
all right, I didn't really want to, but I went and sat down. A bunch of random kids from the group and then a good portion of the, let's call, inner circle. Of the leadership. Of the leadership kids. Yep. Not the leadership itself. Yeah. They started praying for me. I'm going to call it emotional manipulation with spiritual abuse. They were trying to get a rise out of something, I think, but um, which was, you know, fine, whatever. I didn't know I had anxiety back then because I didn't have a name for it. Um, and I was still trying to figure out that, hey, I don't like that many people around me. I was trying to fit in and that didn't work for right. me. Uh, there was a couple of people that started speaking in tongues and that's what really set me off because that was weird. I had never heard that before. That's appropriate in a specific type of context. There it was like it maybe wasn't no quite one, the appropriate context. There was no one translating. Yeah. It okay. was just a bunch of people speaking in tongues. Other people were singing. There were far too many people oh. with their hands on me stuck in a bus. I started freaking out because there was too many hands or people speaking mm -hmm. in tongues. I was done. I wanted off the bus. They would not let me off the bus. There were so many people tightly packed in the back of that bus I could not get out. Somebody went and got my parents and said something's wrong with Cassie. So my parents came out and they could not get on the bus. I was losing my shit at that point. They tried to get on the bus. I was up off the ground. I remember going, no, no, no. Here is where um, apparently, according to some rumors that were spread, um, they were trying to exercise a demon from me. They thought I was demon-possessed. Oh. One of the people that was on the bus with us um, started spreading a rumor that when I saw my parents, I guess, that my eyes flashed to solid black when I started saying no, no, no. So apparently I was just possessed by Satan. They would not let me off the bus still. And So you were physically being restrained at this point? Not physically, but unable to move. So they weren't holding me down. Sure. But there was nowhere for me to oh. go outside of my little circle that I was standing in. Yes. So if you want to call that physical restraint, then yes. Um, but as soon as I was able to get off the bus, I booked it down the hill because we were parked at a church to the lower parking lot of this church and two of the leadership followed me and wanted to discuss what happened. I'm like, y'all, now is not the time. I'm still trying. Uh, of course, I'm sitting there on the ground of this lower church parking lot trying to process what happened going, no one touched me. No one talked to me. Yeah, I don't remember what they said when we were down there, but we went back up to the church. One of my friends at the time was the only people who apparently felt comfortable enough to sit with me because everyone thought I was still possessed by Satan or something. The moms were keeping their kids away from me. Nobody mm -hmm. wanted to interact with me for a while after that. So I tried to have a demon exercise. That sounds me. like some spiritual <sighs> abuse to me. It was awful. Besides what happened to me, I don't know what happened mm -hmm. outside of what happened that night. Let me tell you how spiritual abuse works to teenagers, including myself in this community, this cult of people that we were part of. Here's what I remember from this day. I was told, because Cass and I were friends, I was told Cass is being, a, there's a demon being exercised from Cass on the bus and we need to go pray for her. And immediately I was panicked because I believe that the spiritual world is a real thing. Mm -hmm. And I believe that people can interact with it in ways that are not safe and not good. So I was thinking as a young person, 
well, shoot, Cassie's demon possessed. <laughs> I, what can I do? How can I help? I, we can't fix this. I was so terrified. I called my parents and I was just crying because I was like, did I just lose my best friend to Satan? Oh like, my God. what am I supposed to do? I don't know how to respond in this situation. Uh-huh. It was one of the most traumatizing, spiritually traumatizing experiences of my entire time in this cult. Yeah. I remember- Trust me, it was traumatizing. <laughs> I mean, really, <laughs> it was awful. But people decided that they knew what was happening or they decided that they wanted this to happen and so they manifested something to happen yeah suddenly everyone was praying a demon out of Cass, and we were holding hands around the bus praying while she was trapped inside we weren't allowed to interact with her once the whole weird situation was finished and we were kept apart from Cass. i thought I lost my best friend to Satan. We'll never be able to be friends again. And it was awful. Are demon possessions biblically a thing? Absolutely. Is it possible to pray a demon out of someone based on scripture? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Do I think that this situation started at a place where that was the next best option? No. Absolutely not. And I was stuck on that bus for hours it started when we were moving still and it ended when we had stopped at our resting place for the night hours after we stopped two other things i remember to add into that that also go along with spiritual abuse legalism manipulation all of the fun stuff my mom apparently was told after that happened by the pastor and some other moms are you sure your daughter's saved is her soul okay my mom got pissed rightfully so because they didn't know what happened they weren't keyed into any of this that was a bad year for me on that trip to begin with there's many other things that happened but this is the big one she was told that I must not be saved, essentially. And she got mad and she's like, well, she must be or else this wouldn't be happening or something along those lines. But I talked to her pretty recently about it because she still had didn't know the full story. And it's been 11, 12 years now. And I told her what happened. She said, yeah, that was one of the red flags that kind of we got from this group. And we were just told by leadership that it was being handled. Here's wow. here's the key point, though. She said, this is one of the red flags that I noticed. And I said, if it was one of the red flags, then why didn't you just say we're done? Because yeah. the leadership said it's being taken mm-hmm. care of. And if that's not spiritual abuse and religious manipulation, I don't know what is. So when we talk about Christian fundamentalism we will refer to this Christian cult that we were part of and say, wow, that was absolutely in the same category. Yeah. Absolutely just as problematic. Yep. This is why we have religious trauma. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Boy, do we. Let's move on to a couple things that I want to talk about related to some of the principles of fundamentalism. Mm -hmm. Things that we didn't realize back when we were doing it or a part of it, that now we realize because it was a Christian fundamentalist Christian cult, these probably were not healthy teachings for us to be given as children. Let's start with the mentality of us against them idea. There was a movement called the Quiverful Movement, Mm -hmm. 
which has good ideas and some poor execution on the part of what we were taught in this cult. Yes. Um, I have a question about that, actually. Please. My family was not part of the Quiverful movement. There was only me and my brother, and that's it, because we came in much later. My parents kind of were the whole society to and done kind of thing. So do you know where the Quiverful movement originated from? I sure oh, do. good. There is a scriptural <laughs> verse that talks about children being a gift or a heritage from the Lord, and blessed is the man that has his quiver full of them. A metaphor for a warrior that is successful in battle is going to have a lot of arrows in his quiver. Right. A man that is successful or whatnot, a woman who is successful in her ability to be in this motherly capacity, uh -huh. you're going to have a lot of kids. Not that I think having a lot of kids is bad because having kids is whatever your preference is. Yeah. However many kids you want. Sure. Go for it. Right. Jesus loved children. Anytime he talked in scripture, he was like, let the kids come to me. Mm -hmm. Don't cause the children to stumble. He is all about the children, right? Yeah. But the quiverful movement came from a patriarchal view that in order to be successful in your Christian walk, you had to have a lot of kids. The man has all of the authority in the house. So if the man wants to have a lot of kids, the man gets that's to it. have a lot of kids. Right. Exactly. Uh. The woman's sphere of influence is in the home. The man's sphere of influence is everywhere else in life. And also he needs a lot of kids. Yeah. The quiverful movement emphasized children are a blessing from the Lord. And it also emphasized only God should be able to open and close a womb, as he does in scripture. We have several examples of right. this. Some of the things that came from the Quiverful movement were good things. Children are a blessing from the Lord. Yes. Do we want people to love their children? Absolutely. Obviously, yes. yes. <laughs> Please love your children. Do we want people to be happy to be parents? Yes. Of course. The Quiverful movement brought us a lot of family activities, which can be good. Having a big family meant that when you went to a church, everyone was like, oh, wow, your family is amazing. Look at all these godly children. Oh, wow, your family is musically talented. Look at how talented and successful everyone is in your family because you have so many children. If you were a fundamentalist Christian family in the Quiverful movement and you did not have eight kids that formed a band, you were failing. <laughs> At something in life. I don't know why that was a standard stereotype. The Quiverful movement was a big deal for this community. A lot of the families in this Christian cult that we were grew up in had more than four children. If you were over four, nailing it. Great job. God is blessing you. Under four, what are you doing? Two of the people that were mentioned as part of the Quiverful movement that I remember, Michael and Debbie Pearl. If you guys have ever heard about them, um, they've written several books. They've been around for many, many, many years. Um, to Train Up a Child is one of their most popular series approaches to child rearing. They put out videos, I remember. They were part of lots of conferences. They were here to teach you how to best rear your children in a godly manner. Sounds like a good idea. What Sounds like a issue? great idea. Um, one of the videos 
that I remember seeing. They would have videos on how to properly physically discipline your child. They would do it at conferences oh. from what I have also seen of how to properly discipline your child. Not all of it is mm -hmm. bad. There were some odd things in regards to sure. your children growing up and getting married physically disciplining your child so michael and debbie pearl wrote this book to train up a child which like you said was the idea going into it you're thinking okay they're gonna talk about the godly way to rear a child the best way to bring your child up to be a good godly person let me just read you a quote from oh, to train up a child regarding what they mean when they say train to train up a child uh -huh. okay let me just read you this quote and you tell me what this sounds like training is the conditioning of the children's mind before the crisis arises it is the preparation for future instant unquestioning obedience it always works with every child by conditioning the child's mind so he will respond to any authority with instant, unquestioning, heartfelt obedience. You're going to Pavlov your child to do whatever you want without throwing a fit or being a child or questioning authority, which sometimes you just need that kid to shut up and just, just do it. But there are other times, especially with other authorities that are not yours, you want that kid to question some shit. You need to be asking questions. Mm -hmm. Why do you want me to do this? That's not what my parents say. That's the same idea as we tell kids. If somebody other than your or even your mom or dad tell you to keep a secret from someone else, that is an unsafe situation. Mm -hmm. That is setting kids up to be hurt by not being able to question or ask why. That's mm -hmm. awful. So one example that I remember, a friend of mine reminded me about this. We were talking about this the other day. One example of a training technique that they talk about is something called blanket training. Blanket training is a technique where you teach your infant, not a child that can talk or respond or understands anything yet. You teach an infant to obey your command of where to keep their body okay mm -hmm. so you lay out a blanket on the floor you put your infant on the blanket if the infant moves from the blanket you physically discipline them and put them back on the blanket it's an infant are you sure this isn't a godly principle of how to teach your children to be godly obedient children no no it doesn't <laughs> okay so that was something that came out of the quiverful movement was training your child in this way so that they have unquestioning immediate heartfelt obedience i i just have um a little little two cent from uh, somebody who has gone to college for early childhood education and developmental studies. Children don't even understand the concept of sharing until age four. Why okay. are we disciplining our infants to stay on a blanket with a physical punishment? Sorry, that's irritating. So one of the other people that we didn't know we were tied to some of his teaching, and some of you guys might recognize this name from a show called Shiny Happy People. Intro, Bill Gothard. Some of the things that we were taught, some of the things that we were a part of, maybe not for long though, some of them, we had no yeah. idea until probably early this year, last year sometime, were his teachings. A little scary, but also tracks. <laughs> Oh, what were some of those things? Like you said, we probably weren't involved for very long because if you have researched or know anything about Bill Gothard Institute basic life principles, 
whole situation, mm-hmm. you should all automatically see red flags that it was a weird Christian cult. There was grooming going on of young people. Yeah. There was uh, manipulation. There was spiritual abuse going on with people. So most of my memories of anything peripheral related to the basic life principles is is very small because we weren't directly involved. Right. But we definitely got it was like that weird tri- yeah, trickle down effect of we got kind of whatever was left over. Somebody went to a conference and came back and said stuff. It was one program that I know both of our brothers and some other guys that we knew were a part of for a little bit called Alert Cadet that I had no idea until early this last year was a part of that. Plus, it wasn't for me. It was geared towards the guys and the dads kind of. There was a conference that somebody in our group had gone to. Um, which is where one of our outreach programs actually stemmed from. We recognized that maybe something was off or something was weird uh, when we were part of it, right? Right. It would be like, that seems a little questionable. We maybe don't want to participate in that anymore. But of course, we didn't realize why it was odd. We're just bringing up the Bill Gothard principles Mm -hmm. because now we understand as we're processing our religious trauma from these experiences. Yes. Now we understand. Oh, yes, that was a cult. That was not good. (laughs) Well, stemming off of that, uh, one of the last things we want to touch on is kind of like a co-op, and we can touch more on co-ops at a later episode, called Keepers of the Faith. Keepers of the Faith is a program that was created, again, always starting with good intentions. Yes. There was a girls program, Keepers of the Home, Mm -hmm. and a boys program, Contenders of the Faith. And the basic idea was that there was a workbook and you can go through it with individual or with the class and you just practice these things taken from the authors considered appropriate behavior for boys and for girls Mm -hmm. to train the child to become a godly man or woman. The guys would go off and do their their contenders of the faith and the girls would sit in the house usually and do their keepers of the home. It was kind of set up like a more biblical version of Boy Scout. You had a sash. You could earn pins for all of the sections of your workbook that you completed. If you completed Mm -hmm. a full sash, you were a well-accomplished person. They were basically trying to make all of us women into Regency women, being well-accomplished in needlepoint, sewing, dancing, calligraphy. Any skill Uh, that you would attribute to the feminine gender was probably on our list of things that we were supposed to at least dabble in or understand. Yes, 100%. (laughs) Uh, the guy's book had stuff like, can you light a fire? Can you mow the lawn? Can you whittle a whistle? Wood burning was one of them, and I was pissed I didn't get to be part of that because I like wood burning. Any skill that you would attribute to, to males, a masculine yes. activity, yes. that was specifically in the boys' category. Yes, and they did not cross over. Our group stayed separate. You don't do anything in the guy's book and the guys are not to do anything in the girl's book because why would they want to? Our main problem with this, like none of the skills that they were teaching you were weird or sketchy or questionable. No. They were all good things. It gave you a specific lane starting from the time you were age four to six Mm -hmm. and then seven to 12. It gave you a specific lane to stay in and you are in this box if you're a woman you're in this box if you're a man and you stay on that path and you learn those skills until you become the perfect version of that basically our main problem with these 
is not that they were bad or questionable or weird. It was just that it was enforcing again this sexist idea that you have this specific lane that you have to be in and you don't deviate. Because if you stay in this lane, you get praised. If you stay in this lane, you get privileges. If you stay in this lane, you're labeled as successful yes. and better and good. Yep. Okay, any other thoughts that you have on Christian fundamentalism and anything we experienced when we were in a cult? But if you guys have anything that you experienced that you want to share, um, if there's anything that you feel that we missed that would be important to add, let us know. Love the feedback. one party that jesus went to and they were like lord we're out of alcohol and he was like i got you and made some